As a leader of your company, you must stay up to date with your strategies and execution or risk obsolescence. Welcome to the Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. And now, here's your host, Jerry Purcell. It's the Finnovate Show, brought to you by Innovation 360 Group. I'm Jerry Purcell. Get ready to think about your biggest challenges and capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external consultants to fill knowledge and experience gaps or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. The Innovation 360 Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leadership from around the globe and cost-effectively makes it available to you. Get the insights, advice, and systems you need to succeed. Learn more at www.innovation360.com. Our guest today is Alan Sklar. Alan is an entrepreneur and a customer-focused marketing executive with many years of experience in financial services. He's a creative thinker and an early adopter of technology with a focus on the design and delivery of innovative products and solutions. There was an earlier time, quite similar to today, where innovation was a centerpiece of the financial services environment and its ecosystem. Today, Alan and I will talk about innovation in financial services and what we think we can learn from the experience. Uh, Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jerry. It's a pleasure to be here today to share some of my experiences. I've always thought that my career was really at the intersection of innovation and disruption. Really a lot about the power of combining marketing, sales, and using technology to enable innovation. So let's start our conversation by sort of casting our minds back to the the olden days, that is, you know, pre-fintech. What was the lay of the land back then from your perspective? Jerry, I've got to to initially laugh at at your question. I'm going to refer to the olden days or back then as earlier, so we don't uh, (laughs) don't date ourselves and the currency of our ideas. There's no question that the environment that fueled innovation was quite different. And I think of it mainly mainly from a people, a risk, and a technology perspective. And I hope to share some of my opinions as we get deeper into some of these areas in our conversation. I kind of see a lot of the innovation uh, by legacy institutions behind us, at least by one definition of innovation. If we look at the products in the marketplace today, I see very little new product innovations. So we have new flavors and mutual funds like ETFs, and we've got thematic investing, we've got ESG. What I really see are product innovations that are mainly reintroductions of old ideas like market-linked investments, cash back on credit cards, double up and skip a pay mortgages. All of those were really truly innovative at the time, but be honest, they're behind us. And um, just for our listeners, you know, both Alan and I have personal experience you know, in the marketplace. And for full disclosure, we both worked together in the 80s and 90s at Royal Trust in Canada. It was a very, very good time and a place for innovation in the financial services industry. So, Alan, 
Tell me about the retail financial services business in the 80s. Well, Jerry, interestingly, uh, again, in my opinion, as I said, much of what we see in terms of innovation from legacy financial firms today, I, I feel they were largely developed or begun by firms like Royal Trust, which later went on to be acquired by Royal Bank of Canada. I see Royal Trust and its local and international affiliates were really the driving force of that innovation. And if I look back at which Canadian financial firm was first to get into cross-border banking and really recognize that many older Canadians in increasing numbers would own property in Florida and winter there, and therefore would require new and innovative banking products and experiences to capture the U.S. business. That's just one example from Royal Trust. Others include the ownership of a real estate arm, Royal Page, to see a home purchase really transition to a mortgage, the ownership of an ABM firm from hardware on, first to introduce online branded chats, first to use proprietary polling to drive PR and thus brand and product awareness, first to have ads that straddled the 11 o'clock news and tell a story. It was never before done. So really, in a number of ways, firms like Royal Trust were ahead of their time and had thought leaders to support the innovation, and they had the appetite to accept bigger risk that was acceptable with a greater chance of success. And I think all of what I spoke about was really ingrained in the culture of Royal Trust. So the culture was definitely a different place. I I look back sort of fondly on my time at, at Royal Trust. But what, what else was different about Royal Trust and you know, that drove their innovative successes? Well, the linchpin I'm, I'm going to talk about is really, um, there's a lot of examples of innovative ideas that were born from some fundamental philosophical approaches to the business and unique characteristics of Royal Trust that made it successful. I think the biggest single discovery that I can point to that led to a lot of the innovation was the groundbreaking research that we did. And it led to a a whole new positioning where advice comes first. Let me repeat that where advice comes first. It was really ahead of its time. And the, the, the longevity is evidenced by it being copied in some form or others by probably every financial firm in the market today that I can think of. It underpins all firms. Can you think of anything that comes close to approaching that power and that longevity? In fact, it was inculcated into the minds and throughout all our activities through to the end client. You know, again, some other thoughts that I wanted to share with with the audience today. Management support was easily obtained. There was a lot of ownership and collaboration in the systems with a strong client focus. Secondly, a commercial and entrepreneurial approach to everything we did and how we did it. There was an amazingly, amazingly strong alignment of IT, marketing, and sales. So we moved from what a developer saw as, if you ask them, him or her, Uh, What are you working on today? Oh, my pet project. 
we moved to really solving customer needs and what the customer wanted. I think the other the other thing that strikes me is we were always ensuring that we had a good appreciation of the balance between innovation and customer readiness. Although we approached it, it was always something in the back of our mind that it was really dangerous to allow customers to get ahead of the firm. And that possibility was there, especially in the early days of the internet. You know, the other thing I think about is forward-looking employees. We're always really quick to identify sticking trends like digital being a new channel that really provided new options for clients and the foresight to surround themselves with like-minded individuals, which is something I did to advance the journey. Interestingly, some wealth managers, which was the division that I was in, were really slow to adopt the internet as an example, and therefore I aligned myself with like-minded people in the retail bank. The wealth managers at the time believed that their business was just face-to-face as opposed to an option for clients to choose a new channel. And I think there was, there was more acceptance of failure. Failure with lessons learned was acceptable, much more so than today. We recognized also data. The adoption of a data-driven and business intelligence approach at an early stage, we really had pinpoint ideas about client relationships and data. I'll come back to data later, because really, I think in terms of a more contemporary definition of innovation, it it has a really crucial role today. We adopted the concept of a single system of record, a data warehouse, and a marketing database pinpoint well ahead of other financial institutions and with advanced concepts on things like segmentation, a journey around customer information, and how that really related to marketing and sales. That single system of records seems to have morphed into something else and not necessarily one system of truth. And that's especially true for global firms with different requirements, different regulations, different needs for granularity of data. And initially, you know, the old adage, garbage in, garbage out. Although I think the latter is seeing new investment in technology today that I'll mention as we look at the future of innovation. Uh, Last point I wanted to mention, I've got a left brain, right brain mindset, as did many of my colleagues at the time. I got and continue to get my best ideas while taking my dog for a walk. As bizarre as that may sound, uh, an example an IT executive and I developed a number of concepts over early morning coffee. Many were implemented. So really what I'm saying is a lot of the innovation happened outside the formal organization structure. Uh, I've sometimes been accused of, let's call it, uh, what was called elliptical thinking. In reality, that was me listening to what you were saying or an individual was saying and thinking about how that idea or solution could be leveraged and extend it out so that advantages were innovative and sustainable despite competition. Kind of like, keep up with the speed of my thinking, would you? Innovative ideas were planned to stay at least six months ahead of the competition. Yeah, it was not always a fun place to 
to be looking ahead and to trying to keep up, uh, keep up to the clients, keep up to people like you in the marketing space. And <laughs> <laughs> as, the, as the operations guy, I used to go, oh my God, there he is again. Um, so, I mean, you talked a little bit about why, but why, why do you think that was? What, what sort of differences in terms of approach and stuff did they take in the Royal Trust environment do you think that made a difference? Well, it's, it's a great question. I mean, and, you know, if I think about it a bit, there were a number of factors that really combined to make a difference. You know, for one, we introduced pilots and testing to speed up the process. It was really iterative. So we designed experiments around customer data that led to models that resulted in significant increases in retention. Span of control was, you know, not only at Royal Trust, but in other organizations, was a lot larger than it is today. Employees like me had access to a number of levers that, in my case, collectively delivered marketing and communication, PR, advertising, research polls to drive success. And it was kind of like knowing which levers to to push and to pull all at the same time in order to optimize the outcome. Of course, people wear much fewer hats today, have a much narrower span of control, so things are different. The industry itself has always been highly regulated, but I think it's safe to say that we were unencumbered by the degree of regulation that we see today. One of the other big things I I think about is failure was more acceptable. What do I mean by that? The attitude at the time was very much, try 10 things, let's get one big home run, that big home run will pay for all of the other less successful outcomes. That model, no question it's been out of play for years. Uh, the other, the other thing I, I think about as being different is the research and time to implement have long runways, and, and that has much less appeal today. Uh, and the last thing, employees. Employees were more loyal and likely to stay with firms longer in past, you know, retire and so on uh, with the same company you started working for. So developing IP that was retained by legacy firms and is retained by legacy firms is, is much, much less in place today. The personal risk reward curve today is very asymmetrical. What do I mean by that? It's much safer for an employee to stay the course from a personal perspective with less willingness to innovate and potentially fail. Fail today is I'll likely get fired. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team routinely needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Imagine having a plan in place in 30 days to focus your innovation efforts, improve customer experience, accelerate your move to digitization, or increase speed to market. Our guide to accelerating your innovation agenda provides you with insights and time-saving resources to plan your path forward. Contact Jerry to book a quick call or for your complimentary copy at www.linkedin.com backslash in backslash Jerry Purcell. 
G-E-R-R-Y-P-U-R-C-E-L-L. Or email Jerry at jerry.persil at innovation360group.com. So I remember back in the day when we bought 2 million card MasterCard portfolio from Shell. And we had 16 weeks to uh, figure out how to integrate it into our existing portfolio of 100,000 cards. <laughs> and and figure out how we're going to make payments and how we're going to service 2 million more clients and whatever. And, and uh, thinking about on the fly how to sort of respond to that, that challenge. And, and we managed to succeed. And I thought, and we introduced a couple of things that were quite... Uh, unique at the time. One was real-time payment in branch and online, and another was interbank EFT for payments, which I think we got a little bit of trouble from the from some of our competitors about. But but it was it was a, a very interesting time from an innovation perspective. You, you have any stories of your own? I could probably write a book about some stories, but you know the ones that are sort of top of mind. Uh, if I could turn the clock back, some of the innovative solutions that we brought to market. At an early stage, I would probably take to market today in my own firm. For example, we came up with a concept for what today is robo-investing. We had avatars, male, female, uh, and and we developed that years before it came to market. Uh, Another example at the time that mutual funds were displacing low-cost core deposits, I was tasked with coming up with an innovative solution that did two things, allowed us to retain these deposits in more traditional investments, and at the same time, be fair to customers. The solution that a few colleagues and I developed, which you were involved in, uh, was steeped in the concept of volume buying power and true relationship banking. It rewarded a family by paying everyone the interest rate on the pool of funds held by the group. I left that group just after it was launched for low-cost core deposits, but the whole idea was to expand the concept to all asset liability products, making the exit barrier extremely costly, but at the same time being fair to increasingly savvy customers. Yeah, I just think, uh, listeners, uh, this is this is 30 years ago, almost, anyways. And some of the concepts now in the financial services world are, you know, focus on these portfolio type approaches and uh, long-term outcomes. And, you know, so, so it is, it is, these are concepts that were really ahead of their time. So let's fast forward to today, Alan, and, and you know, where do you see uh, what's going on in today's financial services environment? Well, I think innovation in legacy financial institutions has a, a bright side and it has a downside or a dark side. The decrease of traditional legacy financial institutions to maintain the pace that we saw in consumer-focused innovation is, is in part evidenced by a declining share of financial innovation by traditional financial institutions. Some tend to now buy promising IP. To some degree, the number of patents being taken out by financial institutions legacy ones, that is, has also declined. Financial institutions in the past demonstrated significant innovation, especially on consumer-focused product and service innovation. That's the bright side. The downside is innovation can also lead to crises like the boom-bust in housing. But I think that 
the innovation that we saw in the past on product is largely over as I see it. I see innovation today shifting. AI and machine-based learning has been adopted in analyzing customer data, behavior, and what creates better customer service and experience to better craft sales and marketing to reach customers. I mentioned earlier that financial services is a data-rich environment, and we discovered the power of data at Royal Trust very early on, and we're eager to discover and adopt innovation to really advance analytics and innovation today. Budgets and time are being invested in uh, labor-intensive and manual processes to reduce costs and improve quality and reduce errors. Uh, the other area of innovation on the investment side, on the asset side, is really in algorithmic investing and performance for customers. Lots of opportunities within that part of the firm to the extent that they're able to spend money, invest money in, in, in finding this innovation. So, you know, it's really becoming, I think it's really becoming increasingly difficult to find perhaps more so in product innovation, something really breakthrough, you know, chasing the next shiny new marble. As I prepared for our conversation today, I started to increasingly think even more about innovation and the shift to more promising areas, as I mentioned, like AI, machine learning, quantum. There's really limited resources. There always have been limited resources. And, and in my opinion, the current focus and the future focus will be increasingly on, on in the operating space, the front office, the middle office, the back office. Um, you know, new ideas today cost a lot more to implement, and it puts pressure on ROI, something that has little appetite today. You know, the global financial crisis that we've seen has put increasing regulatory pressures in place. Uh, and, you know, you see technology and innovations in technology, innovation increasingly being used for risk and compliance and less on product innovation. You know, the other, the other big thing that I'm seeing, uh, new discoveries are increasingly being found and delivered by, you know, for example, fintech and other non-traditional financial institutions you know, I, I kind of sometimes wonder if the changes are big enough or if they can scale and be sustainable. And I'll have a little bit more to say in my wrap-up on, on, on what people should be thinking about in terms of, uh, in terms of fintech and, and uh, innovating in future. As I mentioned, entrepreneurial employees have much less loyalty. They're likely to port promising discoveries to firms that they start. How do you get people to think about what's best for these entrepreneurs and innovative thinkers in a more traditional organization? You know, I see a lot of financial institutions, uh, let's wait until others have made mistakes. So they sort of wait and buy out or partner with uh, something that turns out to be successful. Yeah, so those are some of the some of the things that I, I'm seeing and, you know, are part of the opinions that I have to, you know, so what now? Yeah, so so what now? And, and what should those who are now tasked in financial services organizations to be innovators 
do and, and how can they learn from the experience of others and, and sort of the past outcomes? So I, you know, I see evidence that specialized business units within legacy firms are being created to make these discoveries. And these, these sort of specialized units have ecosystems to make it happen, the right compensation, the right people, the right mindset, and so on. You know, business models are being transformed in part, as I mentioned, to reduce costs. Uh, there's lots of opportunities in new technologies to replace old legacy systems and tools with new technologies. You could make a very valid argument that those legacy systems have sort of rusted out, to use a you know to use a phrase. Um, and innovation through technology has had a paradigm shift, especially where humans. Uh, I see humans now needing to catch up with technology where it was probably the reverse before. Enter investment high-powered technologies like quantum uh, structures inside that are focused on innovation, uh, more digitization and, and work going on in data, new channels, really more pushback on non-face-to-face. -face. You don't have to look much further than the uh, pandemic to see a lot of events going virtual you know, which is really a, a new a new channel, new way of doing business. AI and quantum, I think thought processes are getting better over time and they're being programmed. I was disappointed and still continue in a way to be disappointed with some of the bots. The bots really need to become more intelligent. And the other thing is we're seeing, you know, sort of this, this sort of cycle or, or sort of transformation of business that sees a movement of business models from business intelligence to data to AI, a lot of focus to shifting to fintech. Now, why fintech? Well, I believe that the fintech arrival was partly due to the failure of legacy business and the draining of talent from legacy firms to fintechs and startups Legacy firms are now seeing those fintechs and startups as not as competition, but really as an opportunity to help them with problems. The innovations are being adopted by larger existing legacy firms, but in many cases with outside partners. Legacy employees, the last point I wanted to mention, and capturing knowledge they're being redirected to added value work by some of these changes. So if I summarize some of the things that you've said through the course of our discussion today, just in terms of the environment that is conducive to innovation, you know, I, I wrote three or four down, sort of owning the problem, you know, being, I'll use my words for these things, but having true collaboration, being aligned internally about who you are and what, what you are as a firm and making sure you're listening to clients and staying ahead of them. That's the second last point. And, the, and the, the fail fast concept, really, which is don't be afraid of making a mistake. You know, just don't make big, don't, too many big mistakes, but don't, but don't be afraid to make a mistake through the process because that's how you learn and that's how you iterate on new ideas. What, what other advice would you give new executives or new or old executives, I guess, in the space as we sort of close off today? So, you know, I think as we wrap up, uh, you know, I wanted to leave the audience with some things to think about. 
really about starting to have conversations about the problems that really need to be solved, getting smarter about limited and tough areas, and really looking at the business and innovation through a different lens. Yeah, I think the business can really be summed up as being more about being a data and technology business. It's really about taking a more holistic approach to innovation where technology, business processes, and external partners will work together to optimize the potential. So you start to think about things like what ecosystem of partners inside or outside will lead to the innovation today. I think it becomes increasingly important to find firms that can help you with skills you need to take advantage of in terms of the shift and groundbreaking changes in the focus of innovation. And I would look to firms and people that want to make an investment of their time and capital in your firm. It's really about selecting the right partners and identifying the right level to partner, not starting too low in the organization because upselling is real tough. You know, align shared outcomes with reasonable expectations. And lastly, build excitement and momentum. I mean, if I think back to, you know, all of the work that I did and you did back at Royal Trust, there was excitement. There was a momentum. It was a game. You played a game to win. You worked hard. You played hard. You've got to have a budgeted capability, get some small early success, the right structure in place and rewards that rewards innovation success. Innovation really needs to have a higher place in the organization than just the real 90-day pressures that you know companies face today. I thought of an interesting expression. May you live in interesting times. It's both a blessing and a curse. I think the future lies in regaining this excitement about the possibilities to solve real problems that goes along with innovation. That's a um, very intriguing conversation, Alan. I, I found it thought-provoking, and, and I know that listeners will find it the same. I, I really wanted to uh, thank you very much for, for spending time with me today. And that wraps up the episode. So for those listening, as always, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on today's show. And please keep the conversation going. If you like the show, tell your friends and please take a minute to rate our show or post a comment go to www.innovation360.com or your favorite podcast site to find out more and to listen to more shows alan thank you very much for chatting with me today thanks jerry stay safe and we'll see you next week you've been listening to the finnovate show with jerry purcell If you like the show, share it on your network and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can go to www.innovation360.com to listen to more shows, download the transcription from today's show, or to contact today's guest. This is the Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today.